Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Nick Cady. Today I'm joined by Pastor Michael Payne. Pastor Mike is the worship pastor here at Whitefields Community Church. Our office is Cheryl Wall. He plays a lot of guitar <laughs> and I hear it all day long, which is nice. It's actually great. So Mike, welcome back. Hey, to thanks. The show. Appreciate it. Yeah. So this week is Holy Week and we wanted to spend a little time talking about what are some proofs around the resurrection, like the historical event of it? What are some things that people who don't believe in the resurrection say to explain, you know, the events and the missing body and those sorts of things? And what evidences do exist out there that are compelling and should strengthen our faith, give us uh, ways to answer those who might ask questions about it? And maybe those who are skeptical, maybe they're not familiar with some of these things. It might be something that they can learn from. Yeah, I know this is yeah, a very important point of subject. I mean, as we, it sometimes gets lost in amongst all the bunnies and eggs and egg hunts and all those kind of things, which are, you know, all fun and games and everything. But, you know, the resurrection of Christ is a monumental event in the history of mankind. We build our calendar around mm. his life and, and death and nobody, I don't think, has ever been, uh, you know, debated more than Christ on this planet. And, you know, as we were just discussing before, like, when people set out to, you know, research Christ, they usually are doing it from a negative point of view. They want to find out, you know, they want to, they don't like all that Jesus has done and the effects and all that kind of stuff that's happened. And then, you know, they, they want to figure out who was this guy and why did he do what he do, did and all these kind of things. and. And so for us, it's, this is one of the most important subjects, you know, as, as Paul said, of all people, we're the most pitied if the resurrection is not true, right? So, so that, you know, that's probably where we need, need to start. What exactly would you say is at stake with Jesus's resurrection? Yeah, good question. Because I think sometimes people are like, okay, they understand Jesus died for our sins. That seems to make sense, right? That he somehow substituted himself in his death. But how does his resurrection make a difference for our lives? What's at stake if he didn't actually rise from the dead? What if it is all just a myth? And um, I, I think those are some worthy questions for us to answer. So, so first of all, um, I think that it's important to remember that Jesus, in the Gospels, we read that he staked his validity of his claims. on He staked the validity of his claims about himself on his resurrection. So people would say, um, what sign can you give us that what you're saying about yourself is true? And of course, what were the things that he was saying about himself? He was saying that he was the Messiah, the promised Savior that had been promised throughout the Jewish scriptures um, from way back when, uh, the Savior King. So he met, he met some of the criteria, but then uh, when people still questioned him, they the question they asked, like, what, what can you do to prove that what you're saying is true? And Jesus went beyond just saying that he was the Messiah. He went as far as to say that the Messiah is God and therefore he is God. And so as proof of what he was saying, he said, I'll give you one proof. And he said it in two different ways. One way is he said, and this is in the gospel of John chapter two, he says, tear down this temple. And he's speaking of the temple of his body, and I will rebuild it in three days. Elsewhere, like in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, he says, I'll give you one sign. 
and it is the sign of the prophet Jonah. I think it's also in Matthew 12, where he says, um, just as Jonah was in the heart of the earth for, or sorry, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and on the third day he will rise. And then furthermore, like we read about like Matthew 16 and um, Mark chapter 10, we read about Jesus telling his disciples over and over, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be uh, captured by the priests and the, the Jewish religious establishment and the leaders. And he says, and handed over to the Gentiles, which is, means the Roman authorities. And he says that he'll be killed, but then on the third day he will rise. And so if Jesus was, did not actually rise, then the very thing which he said would be the proof that what he was saying was true is not true. So, um, and if that's not true, well, then how can we really trust what he said, really, right? Like, so maybe he's not actually the Messiah. Maybe he's not actually God come to us in human flesh. And maybe everything he says is then in question. So I think that's the first thing that's at stake. Is Jesus really who he claimed to be? Because he himself staked all of his claims upon this one proof that he would die and then rise on the third day. The second thing I'd say is at stake is, is what you said earlier. Paul says, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, he is writing to a group of people who said, we are Christians, but we don't necessarily believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, remember, Corinth was very, very far away from Jerusalem. It, probably they had never met anybody who was an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. They had just heard about it, and they said, oh, you know, maybe it's an allegory, maybe it's a, it's a nice uh, legend, but surely he didn't physically rise from the dead. Maybe he rose spiritually, but not physically. And Paul says, hang on, that's not possible. That's not no longer Christianity. And um, that's not what Christians believe, guys. And he says, what's at stake? And he says, uh, if Jesus has not risen from the dead, then our faith is in vain, and we are to be pitied above all people. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And what that means is that the significance of Jesus' resurrection, what it accomplished, is not just that we're forgiven of our sins and then one day we die and then either cease to exist. Well, probably, yeah, that would be the, the option. We just cease to exist. What it means is that Jesus' resurrection opened up the way for us to have eternal life. And we see that this is the message of all of the apostles. They understood this to be the case, that because Jesus rose from the dead, that made it possible for us to have everlasting life. Though we die physically, we can live eternally uh, with God and we will be resurrected. And so like we see this like in 1 Peter, where Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he says, the outcome of our faith, faith in what? Faith in Jesus died and resurrected for our salvation, is the salvation of our souls. And so uh, that's the other thing that's at stake here. It, essentially, all of Christianity hinges on whether Jesus actually rose from the dead. So if you wanted to discredit Christianity, all you have to do is discredit the resurrection. This is the hinge point, and it all kind of comes down to this. So if he did rise, then um, nothing, I mean, it changes everything. And if he didn't rise, well, then that also changes everything. So it's a pretty important question.
So, so along that point, okay, so I'm, I'm a skeptic and I say, okay, I'll, I'll give you the fact. Okay. I'll say, you know, Jesus lived, he came, right? So we've got Josephus, we've got some other like, you know, Jewish historical, you know, uh, people that corroborate Jesus, you know, walking on the earth. And I'll give you Jesus, I'll, I'll give you that he had 12 disciples. I will give you that he was crucified, but I still don't believe in this resurrection thing. So what, you know, what, what, you know, we can see that, you know, there's been a lot of ways that this has been spun, the resurrection story, even from cults, starting with the Pharisees, they spun a story. And we've seen through the centuries that this idea of the resurrection, like it has been spun. So what are some other, like, you know, let's talk about some other alternative, like explanations or other claims that, that, you know, people have tried to run with to, you know, to, to, okay, you know, we'll give you Jesus, but you know, this is actually what happened, you know, mm -hmm. with the resurrection. Yeah, there are really kind of like three main uh, alternative explanations because you're absolutely right. Nobody debates whether Jesus actually lived and nobody debates the fact that his followers, his closest followers claimed that he rose from the dead. And nobody debates the fact that the Romans nor the Jews, none, no one has ever been able to produce a body. Because if they were, then this would not be something we'd even be talking about anymore, right? So you have to have an explanation for how it is then that there is no body, the closest followers of Jesus claim that he rose from the dead and they saw him, and that uh, certainly he was a person who lived and was executed on a cross. <clears throat> well, some, here are the most common explanations. One of them is kind of a naturalistic uh, explanation. And it's known as the swoon theory. Swooning is essentially when you pass out. Um, and so the idea is that Jesus um, was on a cross. Yeah, he, it was painful. But he just passed out and didn't die. And so when they took him down from the cross, he was just like um, unconscious, not dead. And then, then as they put him in the grave, maybe it was like kind of damp and warm. Uh, although I doubt that that was the case, but they say it was damp and warm and just that kind of revived him. And then he felt better. And apparently that means that he then escaped from the tomb. Um, which, okay, now here there's, there's so many problems with this. Let me just uh, give you a few. One problem is that um, anybody who would say this is not very familiar with crucifixion. I mean, crucifixion... Most people didn't even make it through the scourging part. So like you'd be scourged before you're crucified. And that clearly happened to Jesus whipped with these whips that like, um, you know, they, they have metal, glass, and bone in them and what they on leather straps. So as they, you know, whip you with this thing that has multiple leather straps with these, these things on the end, what they do is they dig into your skin. As they pull it back, it rips your skin off, exposing you and and many people didn't even survive this uh, part of it. It says that they beat Jesus with sticks. I mean, this is it really intense stuff. Then they nail him to the cross, and he essentially would suffocate to death. And then, of course, it's really important that the Gospels tell us that before they took Jesus off the cross, of course, they want to make sure he's dead. This is their entire job. These are professional executioners. Like, we should probably give him a little credit, right? And it says that they stabbed him through the heart and water and blood came out. Now the significance of the water and blood is the fact that like once the heart has stopped functioning, then um, 
Yeah, I read some medical about this in the past, but basically the fact that water and blood came out separately like that is a sign that he was truly dead. And, and if he wasn't, getting stabbed in the heart and not receiving medical treatment will kill you. Yeah. Like, so, um, yeah, I think that anybody who proposes that that's what happened is not very familiar with the procedure and the effects of crucifixion. Uh, secondly, like, let's keep in mind that it says very clearly, and we know from history, this is what they would do. They wanted to guard the tomb because they were, they were afraid that people would come by and try and steal the body. So it says they're guarding the tomb and these soldiers, if they fail to guard this tomb, they're going to die. They're going to be killed as punishment. Also, there's a giant stone in front of it, um, which of course, now these stones, if you've been to Israel, you see how this worked. Basically, it was a, um, a round stone that would sit inside a channel. Now, from the outside of the tomb, you would be able to roll away the stone. It wasn't just like a big rock. It was like a kind of flat on one side, um, but round, and, you know, it would roll in this channel. And so there's really not a way to open that from the inside. Uh, it's something you can do from the outside, but it's not something you can do from the inside. And so, yeah, just this idea, I mean, it's a crazy idea that somebody got stabbed in the heart, crucified, their skin ripped off, and then, um, then they like woke up after a nap and then rolled away this rock and then fought off two Ro Roman soldiers who have swords and are not uh, injured and just crucified. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So that, that theory is not considered to be a very credible theory. Okay, number two, here's the other theory. And this is one that's like held by uh, Islam, for example. They hold this view. And that's that it wasn't actually Jesus who died on the cross. It was someone who was either a substitute for Jesus, which then you're getting into something really weird, right? Like if Jesus is supposed to be a substitute for us, now there's a substitute for Jesus. That's odd. And then, uh, or they'll say it was someone who looked like him or... This is also really interesting. They'll say it was like a deep fake, like what we now call a deep fake. Like God made somebody look like him who wasn't actually him who died, but Jesus himself never died. So there was no death and no resurrection. Now, again, the, how do you get to that conclusion? That wouldn't be like a, a straight linear pathway to get to that conclusion. That is really like you've already determined that you can't afford to believe that Jesus died and you can't afford to believe that he rose. But clearly there's this problem where you've got this historical testimony, you've got the lack of a body, whatever, et cetera. And so like they, they're essentially working backwards from their predetermined belief of what can and can't happen and trying to create a theory. So that, again, that's not a good way to do logic. And the third way would be the one that we see actually in the Bible that the Romans said, they said someone stole his body. Now, uh, as we get into the next part of this, you'll see why that's uh, not a very plausible answer either. Yeah, I know. Just anecdotally, I, in another past life when I used to live and work in Syria, I used to, we, I'd get into conversations with my Muslim coworkers and, and we would talk about, uh, you know, they, they would always say, you know, we're, our faiths are very much alike, 
We just disagree about the cross. <laughs> and it's basically what we're talking about, right? That yeah. is the whole crux of the matter, so to speak. And, and what they told me, what, you know, you know, you know, for your, your, your second theory is that it's the spirit of the Christ was upon this person, Jesus. And when he was crucified, that spirit of the Christ then was, came upon the next guy, which ended up being Muhammad. Yeah. And so that's kind of how that, that idea of the the spirit of the Christ is, it goes from person to person. And, and, uh, at least that's what I, what was told to me. Uh, you know, at that time, but yeah, I, I always, I always laughed. I just, I can see him in my head right now in his, this guy's name was Ahmed and just telling me he was just, he was the nicest guy in the world, but he's just like, yeah, we're, we're so much alike. We just disagree about the cross. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Well, that's exactly what, what <laughs> everything as Paul said, if we are, you know, of all people be most pitied if it's not true. So let's get down right there to the, the, you know, the, the meat of the matter then. We've talked about, you know, what's at stake if the resurrection is not true. Maybe some, what are some other alternatives? Well, what is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the grave? So there's probably four uh, big ones that I'll give you, and maybe there's some more out there otherwise, but I'll give you four big ones. Okay, number one is there's a lack of a body. I mean, um, and that that's important because like really, again, if the Romans, their goal was to eradicate Christianity, all they had to do was produce a body. Same with the Jewish leaders, right? They clearly wanted to eradicate Christianity and all they had to do was produce a body and yet they couldn't. Now, maybe you say, well, that's because Jesus' followers took it and hid it somewhere and, no, and they never gave it up. Okay, well, then that brings up the next, uh, next issue. Well, I'll give you a couple more issues before we really get to that one. Is that, uh, okay, there, there were eyewitnesses. If you read in the Gospel of Mark, right, which is written within uh, 10 years of Jesus's, um, Jesus's life, death, resurrection, ascension, and probably actually based on sources that even are earlier, um, even from the time of Jesus being alive, and it mentions these women. It mentions them three times in a row, actually, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, was it Mary Magdalene, Mary, someone else, I forget what her name is, and then Salome. So these three women are mentioned over and over and over. Why would you continue to go out of your way to write their names down? Why not just say some women? Because the fact is, like, when you say Salome, that means nothing to me. I don't know Salome. I've never met her. But the reason why it would matter at that time is because these women were still alive. Right. If you wanted to go and cross-examine them, then you could. They're right over there. They saw them. And so you had these eyewitnesses. Then we also read about from the Apostle Paul that he says, you know, during Jesus' 40 days uh, between his resurrection and his ascension, he was seen by many people, including at one occasion where he had 500 people and he says, and many of them are still alive. You can go ask them yourself. Go cross-examine them yourself. So we have eyewitness claim. Now, if you had 500 eyewitnesses who all claim to see the same thing and were all saying the same thing, uh, that, that holds a lot of weight in court if we were to view it that way. Okay, here's another one. There were messianic movements prior to the time of Jesus and, and probably after as well, but certainly prior to the time of Jesus. There were multiple Messianic movements. Some of them are even alluded to 
in the New Testament, right? Saying, oh, well, you know, before there was this other guy who came and he claimed to be the Messiah, but he died. And then the movement uh, burned out, you know, just kind of of fiddled out or kind of, yeah, petered out. Um, and yet the this messianic movement took off and changed the world. And that brings us to like one of the greatest proofs of this. Okay, let's say the disciples did steal the body and hid it somewhere. And it was all kind of a conspiracy. Let's say that these eyewitnesses, supposed eyewitnesses, were just lying. And let's say, you know, that this messianic movement was, it just happened to kind of catch the public attention and become something big. That does not explain this one fact. And that is that those who claimed to see Jesus risen from the grave, uh, those who claimed to be eyewitnesses, they suffered and died for this claim. They didn't get rich. They didn't get famous. They didn't get any benefit whatsoever. They suffered and died. And you might say, okay, well, somebody might suffer and die for a lie, something they know to be a lie. Okay. But here's the other question Would they allow their children to suffer and die? Because that is what happened. People got killed um, and they got chased out of their homes. We read about this in the book of Acts, which details what happened in Jerusalem that they would go from door to door, they drag Christians out of their homes, and they would accuse them of blasphemy because Christians believed that Jesus was God. And the Jews, of course, viewed that as blasphemy, and so they would go door to door, drag people out of their homes, and ask them, do you actually believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And if they said yes, then in many cases they were stoned to death, their own families would be killed, and their families lose their homes, they become refugees. You know, you would think that, like, okay, Maybe some of these people were so committed to this lie, if it was that, that they would do such a thing. But all it would take is just one guy, one guy who's like, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not letting my family suffer for a lie. Uh, I'm not going to continue on saying that um, my family, I, or, you know, letting my family suffer for this, for this conspiracy. Anyway, his body's over there, or even, I don't know where his body is, but we made this all up, and yet not a single one of them did that. But those who saw Jesus resurrected, they gave up everything, followed him, suffered, and died. And, and you have to have an explanation for that if you're going to say that this didn't happen. And no one does. There really isn't. Uh, I mean... I have never heard any explanation uh, for why someone would do that beyond they were delusional or they were power hungry or whatever. But again, those, it just doesn't add up as to why anyone would do something like that for something they knew was a lie. Yeah, no, that's, is that, that was your second one or? That was all four. That was all four. <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah, no, that's, that's very, very strong evidence. And, you know, you can probably include manuscript evidence as well as far as you know the the accumulation of of letters and stuff that we have today that at some point could have been changed i mean the way people treat the manuscripts of the bible compared to other you know other writers of the time or those things but we have so much evidence and one interesting thing about mark as i studied mark was was because it is one of the first that was written it it does seem to have a collection aspect like like mark is not crafted as as well as like matthew or luke is where it's in a sense you have 
seems like there was a single writer where Mark, there might have been a single writer, but it seems like he, there was a collection of, of, of accounts that were brought together. And, and that's what makes it, uh, makes it so interesting being so early. Like, you know, that people, as you said, people could easily have said, hey, I wasn't there. Why did you include me? You know, and those, those kind of things. And that's so, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, you know, just to look back and the, the, the body of work that we can stand upon that, that, you know, that has been produced that show us that the resurrection is true. And of course, just the people's lives being changed. I think the supernatural aspect of it too, if you just kind of move away from the empirical evidence of written word or things, I think there's the empirical evidence of people's lives being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's just an aspect of it that is all pretty amazing as well that, uh, that, you know, that we see in the world today. Um, cool. Yeah, well, I hope that all of our listeners enjoyed this special episode just for this week of Holy Week and Easter. And I hope that you have a place where you're going to go and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus this weekend. Tune in next week for sure, because we're going to have an episode in which I speak with Shane England from Ennis, Ireland. And, you know, Shane's specialty in seminary was what's called textual criticism which does not mean criticizing the text. He explains what textual criticism is in the previous episode where we talked about Irish Christianity in the Middle Ages. But in this next episode, the one coming next week, Shane talks about the dating of different books of the Bible. And he actually talks about the Gospel of Mark and the other synoptic Gospels. We also talk about the dating of the book of Revelation and why that matters. So make sure to tune in for that.